0: Israel is heartbroken, the house of Israel is heartbroken, Israel is at war again, fighting genocide, and Israel's resilient people are agonized by shock, horror, and grief. A quiet Shabbat morning, also the Jewish holiday of Simchat Torah, where Jews celebrate finish reading the Torah and then start to read it again, in the beginning was shattered by a mass invasion of Hamas terrorists, smashing through the concrete border wall, paragliding into Israel, before rampaging through a music festival, killing 260 machine-gunning people at the bus stop and in their own homes in Sterot, the border town, and in the Kibbutz. Gruesome videos and pictures circulated on X, stuff you can never unseen the elderly and babies slaughtered women raped bodies taken into gaza were paraded and desecrated mothers with children in their arms abducted they're now hostages in gaza's terror tunnels depravity and barbarism reminiscent of the european holocaust how did israel's famed security services miss this evil plan fermenting? can Israel contain this war to just one front? Or when Benjamin Netanyahu says, retaliation will change the Middle East, does that mean going to the source of this conflict in Tehran? Is the long-anticipated attack from Hezbollah about to happen? And what catastrophe would this wrought on Israel's towns and cities? How will Israel prevail? These are questions for Israel's former Deputy National Security Advisor Chuck Freilich. Author of Israel National Security A New Strategy for an Era of Change, and his latest brilliant new book, Israel and the Cyber Threat How the Startup Nation Became a Global Cyber Power. You can get the latest news from X and Facebook, you can watch it on CNN, wherever you get your news, but here on Johnny Gould's Jewish State, let's take a step back with someone I've come to know quite well over the last couple of years. Chuck Freilich, welcome to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you, good to be with you. And many congratulations on your latest book, Israel and the Cyber Threat, how the startup nation became a global cyber power. Chuck, it's a gripping read, reality, but with a hint of drama, and no more so than the opening paragraph, which spells out a chilling scenario where a cyber attack catches Israel by complete surprise, as an attack from Hezbollah in Lebanon follows the complete shutdown of Israel's technological infrastructure. Now that fiction you wrote about was very close to the reality, but of a slightly more conventional attack, which took Israel by complete surprise on the Jewish festival of Simchat Torah. The idea that actually warfare, and we've seen this in Russia with Ukraine, and we've seen this since the start of this war, the warfare still looks like it did 100 years ago?
1: It very much is. Uh, none of us foresaw this scenario. There were, there were lots of things that were assessed, lots of different scenarios. But um, as happened with all strategic surprises, the enemy gave a lot of thought to what they should do. And they caught a surprise both in terms of the way things uh, were done, uh, the their ability to coordinate a large-scale attack, to keep it secret. Uh, This was obviously in the planning for at least months. Their ability to execute it uh, very, very well, uh, all very, very uh, surprising. And in many ways, this is the worst day in Israeli history. Certainly one of the top few.
0: And there are echoes of 1973 for the Yom Kippur War, a catastrophic failure of intelligence the shock of Egypt and Syria converging on two sides to invade Israel. And here we are with 300,000 reservists called up. It gives us an idea of how serious, how existential Israel feels about this attack from Hamas.
1: Well, I mean, there are clear similarities to the Yom Kippur Wars in terms of how we were surprised Uh, a a variety of similarities, but Yom Kippur was an existential war. This isn't existential in the sense that Hamas, uh, there's no danger of Hamas defeating us. It is existential, I believe, in the sense that if we do not respond massively and show that uh, this cannot be allowed to happen, then we will be risking our future security um, and maybe our existence. Now, I'm the guy who's always preaching for moderation and restraint, uh, who believes and believes now that Israel is strong enough to exercise even more restraint than we have always shown in any event. But this is different. For the first time in our history since the War of Independence in '48, Israeli territory was uh, conquered uh, just for a short period of time, hours a day. The towns, villages, kibbutzim, overrun. A uh, number of army bases overrun, a um, hundred plus people taken hostage uh, into Gaza, 50 who were hostages at a, at a dining room in a kibbutz near near the border. They were released, thank God. Uh, this is something that's never happened before. And I believe that our response has to be an overwhelming one.
0: Chuck, it caught Israel on the back foot. And days later, Israel was still fighting rogue fighters on Israeli soil Days after the first incursion, this fear that the breached concrete border wall was still open for fighters to come into Israel, even a sterot was re-secured by the IDF.
1: Well, first of all, there were a number of pockets of resistance that were, that were still there. You have to understand that the IDF also uh, blocked off their potential exit routes intentionally so that they would not be able to escape and would be killed in gun battles and that's happened. One of the problems is that uh, the border fence was breached in a number of areas uh, broadly. It wasn't just some sort of narrow uh, thing. And so they were able to continue crossing, including, I believe, uh, last night. And the IDF has had to continue battling them. Uh, It's trying to, so to speak, close the fence from the air. In other words, there are helicopters there all the time patrolling those open stretches of fence. But It's clearly not 100% effective.
0: And so, Chuck, Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel's response will, quote, change the Middle East. Obviously, that is political rhetoric for the world to hear on one level. But for you as a strategy man, what does that actually mean in practice?
1: Well, I don't know just what the prime minister is referring to, but I think he is saying, and uh, I believe correctly, that this has to end with a different result, a different end state. It's not like the previous rounds in Gaza where Israel, again, I believe correctly, fought limited wars because the price of a a major war, I thought, exceeded the threat. That's no longer the case. I I consider this the equivalent of an existential threat, hopefully to destroy Hamas, certainly as a military force, and uh, maybe even to topple them. And the Prime Minister may be alluding to things even beyond that, because there is is certainly a risk of escalation on the part of our adversaries. Uh, First and foremost, Hezbollah, that's the biggest threat. And Iran itself, uh, they can hit us from their territory today. They can also hit us from Iraq and uh, Yemen. So there's that whole possibility of escalation on their part. It's not inconceivable that the Prime Minister is thinking in terms of an Israeli-initiated escalation. At this point, we didn't want this, we didn't start it, but take advantage of it to do things that are even, that go beyond Gaza.
0: Hamas are growing in popularity even in the West Bank, in Judea and Samaria. So if Netanyahu wants to annihilate Hamas in its totality, this may well mean a fight on a further front on the eastern flank.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a very significant uh, danger of that. The IDF, the intelligence community, for the last year have been warning uh, of the dangers of a multi-front war and saying that that's precisely Iran's strategy. They want to drag us into that. And they may have succeeded. Um, This wasn't an Iranian operation. This was Hamas acting as Hamas. But I, I would imagine that it It'll turn out that there was uh, considerable Iranian involvement in the planning, in uh, training. And um, like I was saying, this can either escalate because they do it, or maybe this will be something that Israel will turn into an initiative of its own. It's a a big war in any event. People have to expect something in any event that will go on for quite a while, uh, weeks if not longer.
0: There's also the psychological effect this is having on Israelis. Mostly civilians have been murdered. If we extrapolate those numbers, the impact on the national psyche is like 10 or a dozen 9-11s if you compare the populations of the U.S. and Israel, and not to mention the, the, the gruesome, the terrible videos and pictures that have been seen on social media.
1: They clearly planned this for months. Um, I think the specific day that was chosen was for symbolic reasons, 50 years and one day since the Yom Kippur War, again on a Shabbat, uh, on a holiday, as you said. Uh, but, but more substantively, I think that they realized that they had this capability, they built it. It would have happened uh, in any event. A side benefit may be derailing the... Um, Apparent, repro- the approach, the, the nearing rapprochement between Israel and Saudi Arabia, the breaks with the Saudis. But I think this is mostly about the fact that Hamas and some people in Israel and beyond forgot this. Hamas is a jihadi organization whose raison d'etre is Israel's destruction and uh, beyond. They have a grander vision. But we thought in recent years that maybe we had succeeded in taming Hamas and that we could buy off their moderation by letting in uh, Qatari aid and uh, allowing it was now up to 17,000 Gazan workers uh, to work in Israel. And part of that was all, I think that was all part of the strategic surprise, the diversionary tactics that they used uh, to capture so unprepared. Uh, so there was a clear failure here of an overall strategy on that. in that sense. There was a failure of the overall strategy that the government has pursued for the last decade plus of trying to we didn't again, we didn't initiate this, but of maintaining the separation between Gaza and uh, the West Bank. they created that division themselves, but uh, the Netanyahu governments did what they could to perpetuate that situation and ignore the PA, weaken the PA, the Palestinian Authority and strengthen Hamas. So you take those strategic failures, the intelligence failures, and get what we got.
0: Hamas have rival militias inside Gaza. There's Palestinian Islamic Jihad and the Lion's Den, a new splinter group. Um, Chuck, is there any threat to their superiority in the Strip?
1: No, I think they're in pretty much firm control of Gaza. Um, The others act sometimes independently of them. And at times Hamas can exert pressure to get them to fall in line. At times it can't, but they're the by far the overwhelming uh, player in Gaza, the de facto government have been since two thousand and seven. I don't think there's any challenge from within. I hope there will be a challenge, uh, an effective one now from without, from us.
0: Hamas. Hamas, of course, is armed by Iran. So is Mr. Security, the self-styled title for Benjamin Netanyahu. Is he going to take the war beyond the proxies in the south? Are we going into Tehran, taking the fight to the serpent's head?
1: First of all, most of Hamas's rockets and other weapons are homegrown. I think what they've gotten from Iran is mostly technology and pieces of equipment that they then use to manufacture I don't think, there's, to that's best of my understanding, there isn't much direct uh, shipment. It's it's hard for them to get things in. Maybe it's pieces of rockets. And, but uh, it looks, I mean, this is exactly the scenario that we were afraid of uh, with Hezbollah, implemented by Hamas. So it looks like there was Hezbollah and Iranian uh, guidance here. I was saying before uh, that... Um, whether the other side escalates or not, we might potentially decide to escalate and go to the source, as you're saying. And that means going to Tehran. Look, that could happen. Uh, maybe the decision will be, as the prime minister was saying, to change the, f- the future of the Middle East or whatever precise terminology he used. Uh, I, I, some of that, remember, it's wartime rhetoric. Uh, you, you have to sound strong. To, you're talking to the Israeli public. You're talking to the international public. But, uh, look, hitting the nuclear program has been a very long-standing uh, Israeli objective. Maybe, given what's happened, uh, these are the circumstances that Israel can do it. The question, of course, is uh, how badly hurt the IDF was, not just by this operation. I think that we could get over. But by the months of turmoil in Israel that preceded it, which clearly weakened the IDF, we all warned of it. And I think we saw it happen.
0: Chuck, you mentioned how a lot of the Gazan infrastructure is homegrown. And I guess that's something to do with the fact that Iran can't physically hand them the missiles and other infrastructure because of their position. And they're handing them technological advances, which is is remote, which is a very different situation in the north, in Hezbollah, where, of course, They have a completely free, hand all their rockets and other infrastructure straight to Hezbollah in Lebanon. And the stockpile of rockets is just unbelievable.
1: That's the really big danger here. Uh, Iran built up Hezbollah with a truly mammoth and uh, frightening arsenal. Something like 150,000 rockets, that's an unheard of number. There's no military in the world that has that many rockets. I'm not comparing people out to the U.S. Army or the U.K. Army or whatever, but in, in one or two areas, uh, such as rockets, uh, anti, anti-aircrafts, anti some anti-missiles, uh, they're um, they've got unprecedented capabilities. And if and when it blows with them, it is going to be very, very um, difficult. Uh, thousands of homes will be destroyed. Uh, don't know how many people will be killed in these attacks, but you gave an order of magnitude. Um, this is a whole different ballgame because they're uh, Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad together were thought to have had about 30,000, 40,000 rockets before this started. And. Um, Hezbollah has thought to start with four to five times what they have.
0: Chuck, what about the hopes for Saudi-Israel normalization? We've been enjoying the increasingly warm rhetoric uh, that has been coming out of Saudi Arabia from Mohammed bin Salman, who has now called off all negotiations with Israel. Uh, what are we to read into that? Is the prospect of peace with the Sunni world, with the Arab world, scuppered completely or is it just put off on this rainy day for uh for the sunny uplands of uh, of peace in the future
1: well i think it'll certainly hold it up for a bit i hope it doesn't uh, derail this the saudis have come out with harsh statements i would have expected uh something better from them in the past they have in the 2006 war they placed the the blame on uh, hezbollah and in the uh, two thousand eight r- r- round with Hamas again, they placed the brain. So I would have expected them to do it this time. Uh, so it it reflects Saudi limitations or political constraints. I think it it also says something more fundamental about the Arab world as a whole. The Palestinian issue is still a very very uh, emotional one for them. Um, one that sets off all of the, presses all of the buttons in the Arab world, across the Arab world. And this now will will at least start as a major military confrontation is not going to improve that. Of course, it'll look exactly the opposite. The question is, can this somehow, I mean, all wars should be fought for some sort of diplomatic objective at the end. And the question is, what kind of diplomatic objective we might have if that can be used to achieve it in its own right and to help reduce the level of um, of hatred in the Arab world and something that might allow the Saudis to ease the, the way for the Saudis to continue.
0: Let's have a positive word about this particular war compared to all the other Israeli Arab wars that have existed in the past. And that is that we have made peace with a significant portion of the gulf world we have a warm peace with the united arab emirates so that uh we're not entirely at war with the entire arab world it, it it must make a difference right chuck
1: so far i've only seen i have only seen one statement out of the uae which was a comparatively good one i don't know what their overall response has been since the war started i haven't seen any let's say uh, outright st- statement condemning Hamas and supporting Israel. The UAE, of all the countries that have made peace with Israel, was by far the one that uh, was warmest, that came together with open arms, that embraced Israel, and was talking about a real, a really different strategic relationship and economic relationship. And it's now what I three years to the Abraham Accords. Um, In the first year, they really went ahead and were doing everything, not only signed uh, various agreements between the two governments, but on the ground, really signing uh, business deals, etc. They bought uh, Israeli weapons, including an important air defense system. In the last year or so, there's clearly been a cooling um, because of uh, things with the Palestinians, because this new uh, government came into office a year ago. And I think uh, it is still a little bit early to say what the impact is going to be now, but it's unlikely that it will be a good one. Um, if things get, if we really hit Hamas hard, then they'll, uh, I'm sure there will have to be expressions of support from, uh, from them for for Gaza for the Palestinians. But we'll see how far they go, and if they counterbalance it, maybe with some uh, statements that Israel wants to see.
0: These are war crimes but this complicates the strategy for a ground offensive.
1: We've never been in a situation like this before where we had more than the... In the Yom Kippur War, it it wasn't a small number, but nothing like this, and never uh, a large number of uh, civilians and women with infants, uh, grandparents, And that's certainly gonna have a big effect on the government and constrain its freedom of action. But Hamas has apparently spread them all over the Gaza Strip. I think that we will have to do what we have to do, try and do it in such a way that minimizes the dangers to the hostages. But we cannot allow ourselves to be held hostage as a nation by a terrorist organization like Hamas.
0: Chuck, taking this out to the diaspora now, it took just eight hours for Palestinian flags to be waved on the streets of London in celebration of the savagery of Saturday morning, another 24 hours for a Jewish business to have its windows smashed, and for a railway bridge in a prominent Jewish area to have free Palestine daubed right across it. In this interconnected world, every time Israel goes to war, the House of Israel is affected.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the response that you're talking about, I I think, says something about our adversaries that they can celebrate acts of barbarity, uh, slaughter, that they can commit this to begin with, and then they can celebrate it uh, afterwards. It's, of course, galling for all of us to see it, but it should remind us uh, who we're dealing with. And, of course, it's uh, the one house of Israel. We we're that rare case where a house which is Divided, not just once, but in many times over, somehow does manage to remain united in, at least in times of uh, conflict uh, such as this. Uh, yeah, it's the whole picture is ugly, I'm afraid.
0: What would you compare the events of Semchat Torah's invasion to in previous military conflicts involving Israel? Was it like 1973, the calamitous Lack of intelligence of warning, is it more like sixty-seven, the Six Day War, or is it perhaps like the War of Independence? Chuck, what is this war mostly like?
1: People have been compared it to the Yom Kippur War. In terms of the number of dead, we've already exceeded the uh, Six Day War. That number is going to grow uh, significantly. And just by the way, if if, if you want to turn it into nine eleven terms. Uh, the U.S population is almost forty times Israel's so it let's just round it off and say we'll end up with a thousand that's already forty thousand 9 eleven was under three thousand uh so if people want to compare the psychological earthquake and 911 is horrendous as it was was a, um, lo- a a localized attack or it was New York and Washington uh, the plane in Pennsylvania but here it was the sense that the entire well, that Israel's territory had been invaded and conquered, if briefly. And there was, like with 9-11, a fundamental sense that the nation's security had been breached, that something that should never have happened, and certainly not by just a terrorist organization, had happened. It's going to take uh, quite some time for Israel to recover from this. Uh, we, Israeli society is nothing if not uh, extraordinarily resilient. But uh, this is different, the people's belief in the, there was one thing that everybody in Israel always can, believed in, and no matter how bad the internal divides were, and no matter how much the, de- the deterioration and belief in the government, the IDF was always um, above everything else. The IDF, it's not a military in Israel, it's its the family, it's us. I mean, it it's the embodiment of the Israeli collective because everybody serves and their children served and their parents served and their grandchildren. Uh, Well, trust in the IDF is going to be undermined or has been undermined significantly. And I think that uh, ending this with anything less than an unequivocal victory will make it much harder to restore the trust. uh, And that's critical for Israel's national security. We need uh, for this round to end not just with Hamas being bloodied like it has in previous ones. This has to end with a fundamentally different situation. And that's why I was saying before, I think that means that Hamas is toppled. But that's a, it's an easy sentence. It's a big statement because what do you do after we topple it? Who takes over? I think the last thing that we want to do is to actually have to reoccupy Gaza for any lengthy period of time. And so if we've toppled Hamas, who else is there? And when I say Hamas, I also mean Palestinian Islamic Jihad in this case. So who else is there? Are there some ISIS forces? Or you need some other responsible body to take over. And the only apparent alternative is the uh, Palestinian Authority. How do you reinstate them following an Israeli uh, conquest, crushing of Hamas? This has to be... Maybe it has to be packaged as an international initiative, an American-led one, maybe a Saudi-led one, and maybe Israel's willingness to withdraw from Gaza and to uh, reinstate uh, Hamas. Maybe that becomes our concession that we're supposed to make for the Palestinians under the um, the trilateral breakthrough idea with Saudi Arabia and U.S. involvement. I don't know exactly how you engineer the reinstatement of the PA, because that's uh, very hard but first of all we have to be able to tap. Although that's not going to be easy either
0: Chuck Freilich former Deputy Israeli National Security Advisor author of Israeli National Security A New Strategy for an Era of Change and your brand new book Israel and the Cyber Threat How the Startup Nation Became a Global Cyber Power thank you very much indeed for joining us here on Johnny Gould's Jewish State
1: thank you Johnny it was a pleasure to be with you
0: Johnny Gould's Jewish State is now stepping up to the plate. It's time for us as an audio provider to report Israel around the world with consistency and journalistic integrity. But I need your help. A one-off donation is always gratefully received, but a monthly donation really gets our service off the ground. To donate now, go to patreon.com slash johnnygould or paypal.me slash jonathanlgould. Those addresses again, patreon.com slash johnnygould or paypal.me slash jonathanlgould. Douglas Murray. Israel is a rare country in the West
1: uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. I mean, there isn't a, there isn't a fertility rate problem in, in, in Israel. Um, for instance, as there, there is in, in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of
0: the debts that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The
1: challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, known to some as the woke revolution where there's kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists, and often it's uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that, that to be honest, really, really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be, to be truth-tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State, Apple podcast number ones throughout the world. Subscribe now and tell your friends.